you know, my mile and a half run time would be absolutely horrible, but I'd still pass because the, the standards are so lax. And I'd be like, well, that's a run. Like, you know, who cares? I'm not running a mile and a half on the fire ground. I only got to work for like 10 minutes here. Right, right. And it's time to go to rehab. And, uh, but yeah, no, when I, when I showed up at that front door and I, <laughs> I wasn't ready to go, I knew something had to change. Firehouse Vigilance presents the Weekly Scrap a podcast dedicated to the never-ending fight against complacency. Corley Moore, Firehouse Vigilance. It is weekly scrap number 209. My guest tonight is one and only Clay McGee. He's an instructor with Magic City Truck Academy, a lieutenant with Birmingham Fire and Rescue, as well as working at Chelsea Fire and Rescue. Clay began his career in the volunteer side of things back in 2004. He's got the degree. He is an author. He writes articles published in fire engineering. He instructs. He teaches all across the Southeast and beyond. Many of you know him from his presence on social media, where he is an active uh, aficionado, raffle coordinator extraordinaire of any time there is a need in the fire service. He is on top of it when the time calls for it. He's married to his beautiful wife, Sarah. He has two amazing daughters. It is my honor and pleasure to have Clay McGee here as the guest of Weekly Scrap number 209. Welcome, my brother. I'm excited to be here. Awesome, man. Awesome. Pulling this up. Make sure I got everything where I can see it. Maybe. Pulling up the notes. There we go. There we go. Getting everything in place. Anything I missed in the intro? Is there anything you would like to add? That was plenty. Plenty. <laughs> Audience, get your questions primed and ready for James, uh, for Clay and myself. We are going to cruise down some rabbit holes. Uh, quick announcements. If you want to be a part of the Vigilantes, it's the Cool Kids Club. I say it every every scrap. Go to firehousevigilance.com. Uh, the latest things we are doing is the scrap after party. Clay has agreed to show up at the after party and be critiqued on his scrap. Uh, and so we will be there afterwards. Get feedback. Last week's was a ton of fun with... Uh, Chief Hovelman, and we discussed his Elvis love. Uh, now, on to the sponsor so we can get on to the show. The OG sponsor of the scrap is, of course, Keyhose, the hose experts. Check them out online at keyhose.com and follow them on Facebook. Affordable Drill Towers, home of the Affordable Drill Tower and the Affordable Standpipe Prop. Firefighter owned and operated. Pump and roll using the Affordable Standpipe Prop. The affordable standpipe prop fits through most classroom doorways for standpipe theory, and then you can roll it into the parking lot and pump. It comes with six standpipe valves that can be upgraded to PRVs or customized to what you have in your jurisdiction. Call Steve, 844-55-TOWER, or drop an email to info at affordabledrilltowers.com. Firefighter safety and accountability starts with being able to quickly find and identify individual firefighters operating on the fire ground. Identifier Safety combines the best in photoluminescent materials for durable firefighter identification solutions that can glow for up to 20 hours with no switches or batteries, which means being able to rapidly identify firefighters by name, unit, or assignment, even under hot fire conditions. Firefighter created, owned, and operated, Identifier Safety is the home for all of your on-scene identification needs, specifically designed and tested for rigors of the job, be seen on scene, identifiersafety.com or sales at identifiersafety.com. Finally, last one, fresh today, 
my man, John Spira, Fit to Fight Fire is a community of like-minded firefighters, all on a mission to become the best version of themselves so that they can serve their families and communities at the highest level. For only five bucks a month, the cost of a cup of coffee, you will receive a workout of the day, daily inspiration, and monthly training. Head on over to patreon.com slash fit to fight fire to become part of that community. All right. All that's done. Housekeeping done. Announcements done. Sponsors done. Clay, are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> you let it off. I always send out the, the, the list of topics that I want to discuss that, that the guest wants to discuss. And I loved your list you sent back to me. Specifically, you let off with consistency and leadership. I love, love, love talking about leadership, specifically consistency and how it impacts team morale and effectiveness. So I'll just let you run and kick it off. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, I'm definitely no expert in uh, leadership. Uh, it's one of those things I enjoy to, to read about and take classes. Uh, but yeah, consistency and leadership, the, the lesson itself, uh, I, I'm sure I've probably heard it more than once for the, the need for a leader to be consistent day in and day out. Uh, but the one that really sticks with me is hearing uh, Todd Edwards talk about it. But uh, I bring it up because uh, in my own personal life at work, we had a an incident that just really hammered home that idea. And I, I think that's a lot of times what it takes is is that you'll hear an idea. It sounds like a good idea, but then something happens that really drives home the point for you yourself. Right. And uh, <clears throat> So it's a self-reflection on me. Uh, we had some changes in our company uh, earlier in the year, and I was in a uh, personally because of some people that had left. Some some of my best friends have been promoted out of the house on my shift. Uh, I just kind of in a bad place, and uh, some people came in. I didn't didn't step up and do what I was supposed to be doing. wasn't trying to bring people up to our company standard. And uh, it showed itself at a fire. And uh, some of my crew got a little hot with the, you know, one of the other ones. And uh, I mean, to the point that when we got back, instead of having having fun and high-fiving and all that stuff, you know, we had to sit down and have a round table. And we had a guest that had come over uh, for the shift. And, I, you know, I sent him off and was like, this doesn't involve you. Uh, you know, we got some crew business to take care of. And we hashed it out, but that big lesson for me was I hadn't been consistent and because I hadn't been consistent, the ball got dropped. The fire didn't go the way it should have gone. And, uh, there's nobody hundred percent to blame, but me. Wow. Uh, so, yeah. No, I love the, uh, the lesson of consistency and it's always such a tough one to learn and have to, uh, to, to swallow. And, and so many times people dodge and try to put it on other people rather than just, just shouldering the blame. So one thing I love hearing you say that uh, is it starts with you. Here we go. I'm going to read a few comments coming in. Patrick Van Diver says, Clay McGee, 19A shift, tuning in. Joe Kelly said, let's go. Bradley Feely gave a let's go. Uh, Chaz Stringer said, first fire conference was with Magic City. Clay's awesome and love what he's doing for and in the fire service. Uh, Peyton, yes, gentleman as well. Brian Brush called you a gentleman as well. John Spears said, good man, exclamation. Well, you got some good people calling you a good man, so it must be true. That's awesome. Uh, someone said, most excited I've ever seen Claiborne. That's from, well, Hunter, from Hunter Knight. I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to get uh, the excitement. He's my lieutenant at, uh, at my part-time job. 
that's who I drive for every shift. So, yeah. Nice. I, I, so I normally I normally start off anytime I teach, especially when I lecture. I always tell people the Ben Stein of the fire service. Like I'm super dry, and but I got to find something new. Somebody brought up the fact when I taught at Mapsy this past year that like half the kid, I mean half the kids in the room don't even know who Ben Stein is. Ben Stein so was. I, I got to find somebody else to equate it to, but yeah, I'm pretty dry normally. Gotcha, gotcha. My my quest will be to uh, to squeeze out the dryness as we <laughs> as we continue. That's my quest, and also the audience's challenge. Uh, BJ Breacher said, "Good evening from my tub and bonfire in Wisconsin." John Naninga said, love this man. There you go. First class firefighter. Okay. So through the hype, absolutely. Leading each member by their needs and personality can be challenging, but a crucial aspect of leadership. How do you approach this um, delicate balance of individualizing leadership with the people you are in charge of? Yeah. So this is, this is one I struggle with. Uh, uh, I have a hard time reading people. Sometimes so I, I really, I think, I think the more reserved they are and the harder they are to read, the, the more challenging it's going to be to figure out how to get across to them. Right. Right. Uh, I use an example of, uh, of two guys, uh, neither one on my crew anymore. One was older uh, in his mid thirties, air force veteran, uh, you know, did deployments to Afghanistan. And <clears throat> if he screwed up, or if I wanted to give him a hard time, I could call him a name and yell at him and, and, you know, poke fun at him, but he got the point, you know, I could be hard on him. Uh, he responded well to that type of treatment in a jokingly man. Like I, we have, we've had a couple of young kids come through the firehouse where you really have to figure out how to get in touch with them. Uh, one in particular, I never did kind of figure out, uh, you know, what was going on, get on to him about stuff. And when I say get on, I'm just talking about, you know, hot washing, like, here's how you screwed up. And uh, it always looked like I killed his puppy, you know? Right. Uh, and I don't know if – never could figure out on that level if it was, like, he didn't want to hear it or if it was the face of, like, I let somebody down. Because uh, I know how I am. I've had leaders like that in my life where – uh, particularly one chief that it was like, you know, like when you're growing up and your, your dad says you really let me down. Like that's the most right. devastating thing that can happen. Like I had massive, a chief, massive disappointment. I had a chief like that. Like it, it, all I had to do was just tell me something, you know, yell or, or cuss at me or anything. He just said, I'm disappointed in you and you, you screwed up and it ate at you. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's one of the big things as a leader, you have to figure out, each individual, uh, you know, do your best to get to know them. Uh, what drives them? Why are they there? There's so many people in the fire service for so many different reasons, especially at a, a large organization. Uh, right. I know, like, my part-time job working at Chelsea, we have – it's a small organization. We've got 12 guys on shift. And uh, for the most part, everybody's there – because they want to be a firefighter. Most of us have put ourselves through recruit school. Uh, with it being a small city, you know, we don't really want to pay for people to go when we can hire a ready-made firefighter. Uh, but then working for a bigger city where we're hiring people off the street, you know, you got some guys there that are that are young and gung-ho and into the job already because they volunteered or they came from somewhere else. You got some guys that can be 
you know, brainwashed for lack of a better word into the, into a gig culture. And you got some guys that are just there for a pension and a paycheck. And, you know, they'll tell you like, Hey, you know, the market crashed in 2008 and I needed a job. And so I put into everything on the website and this is what I got. And the struggle is finding how to interact with all of them, how to get your mission across to them. Uh, and so it, t- it takes time and it takes work. And uh, I think that's also where that consistency and leadership comes back into it. You got to be consistent with uh, giving your message to them, making them accountable for standards and understanding the why behind why we have the standards. Right. Preston Lyons makes a point. He said, military veterans are taught early on how to deal with someone screaming in your face while you stare at the wall and respond with yes, sir. And people that come from that background can handle that kind of thing. Absolutely. Have you learned tips and tricks, especially between your two career uh, departments? Have you learned uh, different things to let you identify what people can, or any sort of tips or tricks to pass on 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 that people can use? And I'm still learning myself. It's, uh, the biggest thing I think is just getting to know them, get to know them, invest in them, let them know you care. Uh, and then really find out why they're there. You know, what's their purpose for while they're there? And I think if you can find out their purpose, even uh, even if it's not some grand purpose of I wanted to be a fireman, but it's just I needed a job. Uh, everybody's got something they can contribute. Uh, you just got to figure out how to tap into it. Right on. Got qu- questions coming from you. Get it up here. From the stream. And uh, BJ Breacher said that silver lining and the disappointment that young fire felt is he cared. That's the good part is when you, when you have that disappointment, it's because they cared. We have to harness that care. And it's a great point from BJ Brett Ashworth with the first question. He says, Clay, talk about bridging the cap between working in both an urban and suburban environment. What do you see as the benefits slash drawbacks in both? Yeah. uh, That's a good data right there, by the way. Uh, yeah. So the, obviously the benefit to working in an urban environment is going to be the the fire duty, right? Um, uh, that's what always kept me where I work. Uh, you know, we, right. You know, it's the same story. Just about every guy you talk to when you go to a conference or to a big city, guys are leaving left and right, uh, come there, get a little bit of experience and they want to go somewhere else. Right. That doesn't have the headaches and the frustrations. But for me, Fire duties number one. That's number one job satisfaction for me. Uh, so, I mean, with that comes experience. You're getting to do what you signed up to do. Uh, the The downside, I think, with working with a urban environment is uh, there's not always a chance to, I guess, practice your craft for everything that you want to do, right? So you're putting so many people on scene so quick. You got five or ten minutes a lot of times to to do something, and then it's somebody's relieving you. Uh, so if you're wanting to wanting to actually play around and do stuff, you don't have a whole lot of time. The suburban environment, the lack of fire duty is definitely the downside. But, uh, man, the the – I can't speak for all suburban departments, but where I work part-time, which I say part-time, I work full-time hours there too. Uh, we have a great department, a great administration, a great city that supports us. 
And that's something that's completely different, I think, than a lot of urban cities, right? Uh, anything we want, we get. Uh, and it's just a different culture. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I can really equate any lessons learned. I think a lot of the stuff that we try to apply in the suburban environment we're going all out on that you know for for water ops and working in the urban environment we're a big four department uh at birmingham and uh a lot of people want to lay in you know on the way in um i think there's a lot that can be learned from both sides that urban and suburban would do well to talk to each other and actually come to an agreement on things instead of saying, well, we go to fires, you don't know what you're doing. And it, you know, sure. No, no, absolutely. I love the answer. Uh, Greg Redmond said, there's not a lot of me time in the urban when there's that many people showing up. Yeah. No, a great way of saying it. Great way of saying it. Uh, Yeah. In the fire service, mentorship is often seen as a vital component. Uh, of personal and professional growth. You mentioned something. Uh, you, you talked about the the idea of Paul Barnabas and Timothy. And I'm, I mean, I'm a preacher's son, so I know the reference and I get the reference. But in a firefighter's career development, uh, talk to me about what you meant. Yeah, so uh, I, I like to try to bring my faith into things. And uh, I really like the, the the outlook of Paul Barnabas and Timothy, right? So for anybody that's not a uh, not into the Bible or uh, a Christian or anything like that, Paul Barnabas and Timothy uh, were three guys in the New Testament. Paul obviously was a, uh, a Jewish priest that became a Christian. Uh, and then he had Barnabas, who was kind of a mentor and a peer to him. And then Timothy who was a, uh, a young co- uh, convert that Paul mentored. And so uh, that's one thing our pastor always talks about at church, you know, like every Christian is a Paul Barnabas and Timothy. And I think it applies really well to the fire service. We all need, you know, we say we have mentors. We say we have people that influence the career. Like when I, when I teach a, a lecture class, one of my first slides is probably like 50 names of people that have either directly or indirectly impacted my career. Right on. Uh, guys I know, guys I've never met, uh, you know, just reading their works or following them on social media or whatever, but people that have impacted me. But a true mentor is a relationship that you have, and that can be a a mentorship to where it's strictly one-sided, to where they're pouring into you and investing into you, or it can be a peer mentorship. Uh, one of my best friends, he's a battalion chief now, uh, but he was my station captain uh, for the last couple of years. Uh, you know, he'll sit there and say that I'm his mentor, and I'll sit there and say he's my mentor, and it's on different things, right? Uh, he says I'm that because of the of what I bring to him as far as talking about uh, fire duty, and for me, it's, it's leadership. Uh, he's been one of the biggest mentors in my life as far as leadership and uh, not being hot headed and things like that. So I think having, having somebody that can invest in you and then having a peer that you can go back and forth with, that you can grow together with, uh, just someone to talk to on a daily basis about your problems. Even if you're not looking for advice, 
that one person that you can bounce stuff off of and they're just there to listen to you. And then I think we all would do well to find one or two people like Timothy and really invest in them. Right. Like the pastor always says, our goal as Christians is to make disciples that make disciples to make disciples. So if you reach that one person and that one person reaches one person, right, it just continually builds. And that's how we take our fire service back. Love it, man. I love the the analogy. Now, I will ask you this, because like you said, you said it very well. We all have our mentors. I think we can all agree that we all have our mentors. And if we sit down and especially over a beer around a fire, we can sit and discuss and discuss them. Um, but the peer to peer is really something I don't know if I've ever actually thought about really in that, in that regard as a mentor relationship, but it absolutely exists. Uh, do you have like if people who are listening, a young person, especially listening who wants to find a mentor, maybe they don't have them in their small department or something like that. Do you have any advice for finding a mentor, any tips or tricks that have worked for you, things you've learned wisdom to pass on? Yeah. So, um, the biggest thing that I'll tell I tell everybody at, at both my departments and anywhere that I go is get outside of your own department, right? So say you work for a small department, you're a young guy, and you just think there's nobody there that understands the passion that you have or that's pouring into you the way you want to be poured into. You got to reach outside of your department, but the way you reach outside of your department is you got to go places. You got to go to these conferences that are out there. You're going to meet people, some of my best friends that I consider mentors. Uh, you know, I, I know from just going to conferences. Uh, people that I talk to, you know, I got a group chat that's Anthony Rowett, John Nananiga, and Joe Dombrowski from Stanford, Connecticut. And we talk probably two or three times a week. Uh, all those guys are mentors, and every single one of them I've met uh, going down to Pensacola. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's my biggest thing for young guys is get outside of your own. Even if you work somewhere and you got people that are investing in you, get outside and go find other people. And that's the big thing with, to me, with, too, with peer-to-peer is I've learned, like, all the things that, are, that I feel like are bothering me and all the complaints that I have about, about a job. I call John, and he'll tell me the exact same crap coming out of where right. he works. Right. Like, it's, we have these same problems everywhere. And uh, I think that's one of the biggest things with networking and, and meeting people and, and finding mentors is is just understanding that it's not just you. Whatever your complaint is, whatever your problem is, there's thousands of us with the same complaints and problems. Right on, brother. Right on. And getting outside your bubble so, so, so important. I mean, he said it. And Joe, Joe speaking of Joe Dombrowski, he said, get out of your bubbles. Uh, get outside of your apartment 100 change my career in a way I couldn't have predicted that comes from Greg Redmond uh, mentors uh, where's it at mentors are an amazing gift where do you look when direct mentorship is lost and like he said man those conferences are an amazing way to do so yeah. uh, online I have yet to uh, reach out online and been disappointed like where someone was just an a-hole or something uh, amazing amazing way to reach out and find people uh, online also yeah 100 percent I um, uh, John Spira, I talked to him, I don't know, probably at least once a week, never met him. Uh, but he's definitely been a, uh, a mentor, a friend and an advocate for me and, and, uh, my fitness journey over the last, uh, 18 months, I guess. Uh, yeah, most of the guys, if you, if you don't have anybody, you're on social media, 
he can kind of start picking out who who's who's real and who's not, right? Right. The real ones will talk to you. They're they're not gonna be pissed off because you message them on Facebook and you wanna and you wanna chat, right? Firemen love to talk about fires and fire fire departments. So if you don't have somebody, find somebody that you think you want to talk to and reach out to them. Worst they can do is say no, right? Absolutely. Hey, and get on the scrap and and post your questions on the scrap. It's a phenomenal way to make connections with these people. Uh, Some of the best in the service. Absolutely. Um, I want to ask, because we're on social media, just on the question, not not a planned question, but the the raffles, the giveaways. You've become uh, kind of the known for raffles giveaways and and all for good causes i'm trying to say it the right way charity or 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 fundraiser phenomenal stuff talk to me how that started yeah um so i actually got the idea if you'll remember way back in the day uh man i don't even remember what year kyle started engine company resurrection but in the very beginning he was doing raffles and the idea was that he was going to raise money and send people to conferences. Right, right. Right. So that's where I got the idea originally, but we had, it started, I don't know, I think it was 2017 or 2018. A uh, guy on our job had a kid. His child was born with a uh, heart defect. So that one started kind of small. Uh, I honestly, I don't even remember how much we got him. It was, it wasn't huge. It was a couple of thousand maybe. Uh, but enough to help him with being out sure. with time work with parking and food, being at the hospital and all that type of stuff. Uh, and in the beginning too, what I would do was I would reach out to friends that own companies and be like, Hey, can you sell me this leather helmet at cost? Or can you, can you sell me a set of irons at cost or whatever? And so we would raise the money and then I would buy that item out of the money we raised. And, uh, as time's going on and as it's grown, as I've made more friends, as people's found out that it's, it's, you know, real. And I remember when we did the, uh, the Baltimore raffle, uh, Baltimore and, uh, St. Louis line duty death raffle. We did that one big one, uh, which I can't even remember how much that was like 40,000, I think, or something like that. I remember we were trying to trying to really sell it, and we wanted to put it on uh, most boring engine company in the world on Facebook, right, right, and uh, which is kind of a satire. They're kind of like hifty if you aren't familiar with them. And uh, they messaged me back, and they're like, "I will kill you if you're like, you know, not legit." And I was like, "Man, reach out to these people; they'll, t- they'll- <laughs> really that's awesome." <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it turned out that I think the guys that run that page are from somewhere in the Northeast, so they, they I think they knew some of the Baltimore folks, but. Um, yes, yeah, as it's grown, it's, it's gotten to where, and I always feel so guilty doing it because it seems like these things come in, in bunches. Like we've had three, uh, I've had to do three for Birmingham in the last like six months. Right. Right. Uh, you know, we had, had a brother whose mask came off in a fire and he went up in the hospital. Uh, we had a guy, had a porch come down on top of him and it ripped his patellar tendons away on uh, both his legs. And then we had the, uh, the shooting right. at the fire station back in uh, July. So it's just, it's always seems like it's one thing after another, but everybody that I reach out to you, uh, you know, Todd, Anthony, uh, Mitch Hunter from uh, fire mall. Yeah. Uh, Joe Yaller, Chris Kessinger, all these people are always gracious to, 
for the most part now donate stuff. Uh, so it's one of those things I always tell people be like, man, you did such a good job getting this out there. I'm like, man, if, if it wasn't for the brotherhood donating stuff and if it wasn't for the guys willing to pay out of pocket to play the game, I, like all I do is facilitate, you know, it's mm-hmm. nothing. That's not nothing, man. It's a lot of work and a lot of, and and if you didn't, you know, someone has to do it. So hats off. I want to say hats off. Absolutely. Which is a great way to segue into this next question because uh, just the humility right there, you know, saying I'm just a facilitator, but many instructors in the fire service experience imposter syndrome. So I want you to, I want to let you talk about imposter syndrome, but for those who don't understand the term first, define imposter syndrome according to Clay McGee, and then we'll discuss, you know, many instructors in the fire service and, and dealing with it. Yeah, so to me, it's it's that feeling of you don't belong, you're not good enough. And I think a lot of that comes from people. Uh, there's always, you know, little birds in the background telling you that that the biggest thing is when you start teaching, somebody in your department's going to be like, I know who you are. Who are you to to teach something like this, you know? Right. Like, I have more fires than you. Like, uh, where I work full-time, uh, I'm a lieutenant, and we're very – I'm a paramedic, unfortunately – and uh, we're very Florida, uh, South Florida-based fire EMS, right? The Birmingham metro area, uh, most departments provide transport. We call them rescue units. And uh, where I work full-time, lieutenant paramedics are assigned to the to the ambulance, to the rescue. Uh, you know, it's not strictly an ambulance. Like, we, we have our bunkers. we got our SBAs. we got our tools. Uh, so we're going to fires, but you may not be going to as many fires as – the engine your house will because you're on the road going back and forth to the hospital and stuff like that. Right. So sure. for me in the beginning, it was kind of that, that, uh, culture thing uh, thinking, and they may not even been doing it, but knowing our culture, thinking people are talking about me by my back, like, and he, he rides a rescue unit. Was he no, uh, stuff like that. But it's, it's, the more people I've talked to, I found that out. Like you just, you never feel like you're good enough. Right. Like there's all, that's my biggest thing with writing. Like I struggle so hard to come up with topics to write about because anything I write about that's truck related, you know, if it's forcible entry, uh, champs already written it, or, or, uh, chief Morris has already written something on it or, uh, you know, my mind just went completely blank. But I'm with you. There's a lot of there's a lot of heavy hitters out there that have written a lot of stuff. But you know that's the thing. If, if people didn't write stuff and repeat it, then there wouldn't be a monthly subscri- uh, issue of Fire Engineering coming out every month. So. Right. No, phenomenal, man. And and I mean, I feel like that uh, I, the, the imposter syndrome. I didn't know what it was. Someone posted it, I think, a couple of years ago in Facebook, and I had to go look it up and read the wikis on what you know uh, what what imposter syndrome was. Like, holy crap, that's me. Cause I keep thinking someone's going to laugh at me and tell me that the scrap is, you know, no one's actually watching. And uh, you know what I'm saying? And it's like, cause you just don't never feel good enough. It's like someone else way more qualified should be doing this. Yeah. It's uh, it's definitely a real feeling. And I think it, it takes a little while to get over and it, it kind of becomes a, you just have to not care, man. Like right. do what you, you set out to do. Um, you know who you are, you know, you know what you're making a difference. Um, you know, people wouldn't be people wouldn't be bringing you in if you weren't weren't uh, weren't contributing something. 
Absolutely. And I think it's a two edged I think it's a two uh, a strength and a weakness because humility is one of the things that, that that causes imposter syndrome to be a thing, but it also keeps you hungry. You don't ever want to lose that humility. So it's just this 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 dichotomy and this this sword edge you gotta kinda dance along. Uh and you because you don't want to lose that humility, you don't want to believe your own you know, you get published in fire engineering, you don't want to start believing your own press and start thinking yeah. you know, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's such a uh uh weird dichotomy to to do absolutely when it comes uh, let me read i'll catch you up uh douglas said i'll read anything with the name clay mcgee as the author i really appreciate what you're doing shane feruda chimes in says my man clay shane how you doing amber christian said if you've been to more fires be humble and step up share what you know absolutely man and someone mentioned the mutts because of what you were talking about there. Uh, Peyton Price says, when it comes to culture at a small suburban department, how could the backstep help positively affect culture change amid lack of fire duty? Not an easy question, but it's a good one for you. No. Um, I'm thinking on it a little bit. I'm, we're we're real lucky at the uh, at Chelsea where um, my suburban department that the culture is coming from the top down. Um, there's kind of a, a, uh, grassroots campaign, I guess, of a bunch of the, the younger officers, the younger firefighters, cause we're, we're a very young department. Um, but it's supported by, by the leadership. And that, that's obviously, you can't ask for more with that, but, you know, culture change, whether it's suburban or whether it's urban, um, you can influence where you're at. Right. You may not see the the growth come of it. It may be so slow that it appears that it's not growing um, or it may, it may take off. Right. Like sometimes I come back from a class as a young firefighter and, and come in and want to show somebody something. And it's the typical what you always hear, like we don't do that here. Right. <laughs> you are type of thing. And then there's also the next person is like, Hey man, show me, show me what you learned. Uh, I think the, the good thing about a small department is that culturally it's easier to change. The less people that you have to change, the the quicker it can happen, the easier it is. Uh, but it definitely helps when you have that top down buying. Oh yeah. But, you know, talking about culture change, I think I like using our shift at Chelsea uh, and I like using uh, one of my buddies there. So, Two of us in the last 18 months really realized our fitness was a, a problem. And uh, we started working out. And uh, this other guy, he didn't really work out, but he saw he saw us losing weight. He saw us getting in better shape, right? Uh, he was always into the job, but I'll tell you what. We had a group go to uh, – Chief Ike came to town, uh, I don't know, probably like eight or nine months ago. And uh, did just a one day thing, and right. and that one, it's like all of a sudden it clicked, and like we were talking about it after the fact. He's like, "Man, like I got to get in shape." I see you and so and so losing all this weight and getting in shape. He's like, "Start thinking." You like, if if you know you're into the job and you're getting in shape, and and so is he, and like if you know if my kids are trapped, do I really want me doing it or whatever? Won't y'all doing it? Um. So, I mean, that, that culture change can occur. All it takes is one pivotal moment for for somebody to kind of have the, the lights turn on. Uh, 
so yeah i mean if you're if you're at a small department and you're struggling with that that culture change uh i guess the the big thing is keep your head up and know that it's going to be a lot easier for you to to change somewhere like that than it would be if you went left and went somewhere bigger um but just keep doing what you're doing you know get out there in the bay if nobody else wants to train get out there and train by yourself people are going to show up and come out there and talk to you they may not participate in the beginning but they're going to come out there and ask you what you're doing it's awesome no power powerful uh catching up here catching up reading back uh carpet fuego said if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you but make allowance for their doubting too i never realized that the poem if was actually talking about imposter syndrome without line until you posted it right there in that 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 one of my favorite poems so the fact that i never caught on until just now is pretty cool uh chad ray said chavez is definitely not an imposter love you claiborne uh brett ashworth says question coming at you on the subjects that you instruct which is your favorite and why Man, so the two things that I instruct the most are forcible entry and ground lighters. Um, that's hard. I, I like forcible entry better. Uh, I like the, the knowledge and the skill and all the different facets of it. Uh, but, man, teaching gr- hands-on ground lighters, especially with the, the class that we do with Magic City, uh, when we get a good two-day – two-day dark side of ladders class somewhere at a conference and we get students that are into the job that want to learn that are hungry that class is so fun to teach right Man, like i can't even describe so the first day is is all skill stations right so we progress with ladder review because we don't know everybody's skill sets so we start off with just roof ladders 24s and 28s and 35s and that's like the first half of the morning and then as it goes on, it starts turning into all the things that uh, people are there for, right? Like the throwing the cars through the windshield and any other type of alternative peeling, using dumpsters, just whatever you can find, uh, all the way up to the splicing and the scaling. But on the, the second day after lunch, we do a our version of the Paxton drill, which comes right. from the Paxton Hotel Fire in Chicago. And for us, it's just whack-a-mole, right? So we, we divide them up into engine and truck companies. We'll take one group out to or two groups out, depending on the number of students, and make them victims. And it's whack-a-mole. You see somebody hanging out a window or on a balcony or whatever, anything you've learned or done the last day and a half is fair game. Get the ladder in place, go up there, slap them high five, come back down and just readjust. And just make it happen. Man, we, we start out doing 10-minute rounds, and they get gas, and we start, you know, dumping it down to five. And we've only had a couple of classes actually last, last till about 4.30 or 5 o'clock. But all, like, just about all of them, man. It, it's I can't describe how much fun that class is. No, I've, I've heard so many times, uh, the you know, after OJ's uh, scrap, and then so many people said, man, the Paxton drill at the end, the Paxton drill, the Paxton drill is so much fun. I mean – an absolute ass kicker, but so much fun. Yes. So I love it, man. Uh, Eric Wheaton coming at you. Man, you got a lot of a lot of guys checking in on you. Uh, Eric Wheaton said, J- joining late, if you already mentioned it, but Clay, what motivated you to start your fitness journey? Yeah, so we had a fire. Um, I was on uh, the engine that day. It was probably a year ago in April, I think. 
Um, so any, anybody that doesn't know anything about Birmingham, we're at the, the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains. So we're very hilly. And uh, we got blocked out about a block and a half away as like the third new engine. And uh, got off the engine, ran down the hill, hung a right, ran up the hill on the sidewalk. And then you get to the front of the house and it's one of those where you got a retaining wall at the sidewalk. You got to go up the steps and climb up the front yard. And by the time I got to the front door, I started trying to mask up. I like I was already spent. And that was my big pivotal moment for me. Uh, I'd always made the excuse. I, naturally, I'm a lazy person. That's just how I am. Uh, growing up, uh, anytime it took, it came time to do something physical, I'd, I'd uh, try to find the easy way out, right? So, like, I played football in grade school. When it came to middle school, where it started with, you know, before school workouts and all that type of stuff, I quit. Didn't want to do it. Uh, played hockey, ice hockey. I know it's weird. I'm from Mississippi and we had ice hockey, but yeah, <laughs> played ice hockey. Uh, wanted to play travel hockey, started doing travel hockey practices at 6 a.m. on Saturdays. I lasted two weeks. So I was like, I don't care about doing this. Like, not the fire service is the only thing that I've ever really loved enough to commit to try to do something with it. And, uh, I've been in shape and I've gotten fat and then I've lost weight. I've, I've yo-yoed a lot since I've been here, but I, I was at the biggest I'd been. And I always made the excuse in my head, like I've never not been able to do whatever I need to do. Right. Right. And that day changed it. I mean, hands down, I knew when I walked away after that fire, I like, I was even more spent obviously when it was over with, but, uh, I started then and I've been, uh, Pretty consistent for the last probably like 17, 18 months. Uh, the big thing for me always in the past is like I could go on vacation and be bad for a week and not be consistent, like come back and be like, well, I just blew everything of, you know, like gain sure. five pounds and be like, I've blown everything I've worked for. Right. And you can just use that as an excuse. And uh, the biggest mindset changes I've had. Is even when I've I've not been dotted on my diet, maybe even for a month at a time here and there, uh, just not being crazy. If I do do regress, don't use that as an excuse. Start new, start over. Uh, and you know, too, I'm I'm 38 years old. I don't I don't lose weight like I did when I was 28. Sure, believe me, I understand that completely. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's a, still a work in progress. I'm about halfway to where I want to be weight wise, and. Uh, yeah. So, so it's just the wake up call of that fire. No, uh, that, that was the pivotal, like I, I knew I was out of shape because anytime we had to do our P, our yearly PT test or something like that, like, you know, my mile and a half run time would be absolutely horrible, but I'd still pass because the, the standards are so lax. And I'd be like, well, that's a run. Like, you know, who cares? I'm not running a mile and a half on the fire ground. I only got to work for like 10 minutes here. Right. Right. And it's time to go to rehab. And, uh, but yeah, no, when I, when I showed up at that front door and I, I wasn't ready to go, I knew something had to change. Awesome. Hey, at least you would you know. I mean, it's, it may be a wake up call, but at least you listen. Yeah. And there's people that try to just still make the excuse away, make the excuse away. Uh, Hunter Knight says his weakness is Mike and Ike's, even though it's top five worst candy in the world. So I feel like there's an inside joke there, but Mike and Ike's are my weakness and it's the number one candy in the world. There you go. Heard it here first. 
Eric Wheaton said, good job, bro. All right. Um, helmet cams, talk to me. How they can enhance training and leadership development. Yeah, so I, I feel like there's been a big uh, push. You know, er, everything, everybody's always afraid of getting sued. And right, right. This and that. I think there's been a big push uh, nationally, it feels like, against them. Uh, I know we used to have them at Birmingham, and then our uh, our last sheet that took over, like, axed them right away. Uh, and, of course, it happened right after. If you remember, uh, I'm not a basketball player, so I'm in a fan, so I hope I'm getting it right. It was Kobe Bryant that died in the helicopter crash, right? Correct. Yeah, so the whole thing with the L.A. medics taking photos of the, the wreck scene and all that sure. stuff. So – it kind of it happened like right after that, right? Like, it's not a liability. Like anything that you have is discoverable in court, even though it's your personal property. Which I, I understand all of that, right? But the benefits to it, like mm-hmm. it's like everything else. If if you're worried about it, implement a policy and right enforce the policy, right? If and I'll say, I'll say, like a lot of people have overreacted to the Kobe Bryant picture thing because the city of Los Angeles got sued for seventeen million or whatever it was, and they lost. But it's because they took pictures with no training value whatsoever. They it wasn't for training purposes. They couldn't yeah. prove they were for training purposes or anything. And so it was just strictly to make a profit off of the death, or that was the you know allegations that, that lost the case. <clears throat> Sorry, uh, I didn't mean to interrupt your flow. No, see, I didn't even know that. I just knew that they got sued over it. Well, it's but, a hot, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it's uh, to me, it's invaluable, right? Like it's game time footage. I know some departments out there uh, have have it where they give their officers a helmet cam. Uh, that way, there's some kind of accountability. And anytime I've heard of, of departments where anytime that you know they run a fire, they turn the SD card over to somebody else, and then they can disseminate that information as they need to. What, whatever you have to do as a department, and I understand that that's a lot easier at smaller departments than big departments. Sure. But, man, the the ability to go back and see what you did, right? So uh, I can't remember what it's called, but, you know, the not just the auditory exclusion, but missing things when it happens in real time, right? So when you get amped up, you perceive things, you take in stuff, but you don't have any recollection of it afterwards. Does that make sense? Yes. I don't, I don't remember what that's called. I, Auditory but, exclusion and then the, 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 the just focusing in and, and yeah. yeah. The so, gorilla can dribble the basketball right through the basketball players. You yeah. Don't see it. Yeah. yeah. I about that one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think as an individual firefighter, the value there for helmet cams is just going back and, and seeing, you know, what did I miss? Um, what did I miss? What did I, I hear? And then from the incident command standpoint, uh, being able to see what you saw when you pulled up, did I miss anything? Did I miss radio traffic? I've, uh, being a lieutenant, like occasionally I wound up in charge of a fire for like a couple of minutes before chief gets there. Uh, but we had a fire last year, two story apartment, the whole top floor was rocking when we pulled up and, uh, I took command from a firefighter that was riding the seat on the truck company. And, uh, man, I, like I, it was like a freaking we reports of jumpers, people trapped. Like it was wow. a emotional, uh, test situation. Right. Right. And, uh, 
I had no no way to go back and study that and to see how I did. I had people tell me, you know, you sounded great on the radio, which I that's always one of my biggest fears. I think I sound like a freaking idiot on the radio. Like I don't. I think that's say, a shared fear for everyone. If they yeah, I don't use fillers, <laughs> all this stuff. You hear? I don't want to be a screamer, which I always feel like I'm screaming anyways. Uh, but yeah, and it wasn't until I got a hold of the the uh, dispatch audio during the PIA where I actually went back and listened to it. And I was like, well, one, I, I sounded okay. But two, there were, like, I acknowledged things that I was told by fire alarm and I have no recollection of ever acknowledging it. Right. Because I had so much sensory input. It was my first experience in that situation. And if I had never got a hold of those tapes, I, I wouldn't have ever known. Right. And so right. With, with a helmet cam, you have the ability to hear your size up. You have the ability to see what you saw and either took in or did not take in. And then honestly, one that nobody's ever really brought up to my knowledge is uh, on bad scenes. I think it, it can health, right? So, okay. We had a, uh, we had a fire several years ago when we still had our helmet cams where my company pulled uh, three family members out of a house. And when we got there, I got off the truck the neighbor was sitting there yelling at me, you know, they're in this room right here, right here. Uh, it's a conventional foundation, elevated window, plopped my halogen down, up against the wall, jumped up on top to do a VES, fell right back out, down onto the ground, right? right. Neighbor helps me up. I go up again, try to push in, can't, there's something in my way. I immediately make the decision to back off and go in through the front door. I still know where they're at, right? Now I just got to take the long way to get there. And, uh, in my mind, like I, I was wrecked. Like it was a scene that involved kids. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. I came home crying that morning. Sure. Um, and I was in such a bad place because in my mind I had wasted minutes trying to VES this room, which come to find out the headboard to a queen size bed was up against the window. Up against the like, window. Right. Yeah. God. But in my mind I had wasted minutes trying to get into this this room i mean legit like beating myself up and then when i finally got the stones to go back and watch the video it was like 20 seconds or 25 seconds before i made the decision this ain't working let me do something else and if right. i didn't that video to back that up then you know it would have been I, I don't know what that would have been like for me no you'd still be dealing with a moral injury because you couldn't get the the explanation yeah so, Absolutely. I've never I've never even thought about that aspect, the mental health aspect of 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 it. Uh honestly, until you've mentioned it here. That's that's brilliant. I yeah. do love it. A couple things. Uh to Gary Arbuckle, the dings in the past were we used to have the Facebook alerts, people could give coins that were worth like pennies and you could throw them and it would go ding 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 ding. It was super annoying. It lasted from scraps like 75 to 102. We finally figured out what it was and got rid of it. So hope hopefully that's that's back in the back. Uh Clay, do you have something that dings every once in a while? No. Okay, we're trying to find it. There's a ding that's going off every once in a while. We don't know where it's coming from. My phone's on vibrate. No, that's, it's not a big deal. What's like that? Money. Back then it was, you know, uh, but we turned it off because it was so annoying. Well, I mean, it was pennies at, at nickels at a time, but uh, they, they added up. Don't get me wrong, but but it was super annoying. So it was like ching ching, cling cling cling, cling yeah. cling. 
and and it was really taken away from the scrap. You know, it was you know you'd be telling a, a, a riveting story and then click cling cling click cling cling, and it's not like I turned down hundreds of dollars. You know, so I don't want to be like. <laughs> Uh, but no, uh, okay. Back to what people were saying. I love Monday morning quarterback. My own footage, always an opportunity to learn. Uh, Carpe Fuego said, "Holy cow! Never thought of that. Amazing story." See, I don't know what that was. Did everybody else hear that one too? Okay, yeah. So sorry, that was me. That's my, okay. my must be my laptop. That was my buddy from Memphis telling me to tell you that I'm worth quarters. Quarters. Okay. There you go. He got it in. I'm no big deal. I'm computer illiterate. I don't know how to turn the sound off on my laptop. It it happens uh, so infrequently. It's not a big deal. We just identified it. As long as okay. it wasn't on our end, you're good. I wanted to get this question to you. It's coming from one of the Nelms brothers, Trey Nelms, saying, Clay, I'm proud of you, bro. Is it Trey or Daniel? I think I typed it wrong. I can't scroll. So it's the Nelms brother. Sorry. I've lied. Probably uh, I think Daniel. It was Daniel, because I was thinking of Trey when I typed in, and I typed the wrong name. Daniel Nelms says, Clay, I'm proud of you, bro. Been looking forward to this. So what's the best thing we can do to improve recruit training? Thank you, Daniel. It was Daniel. Sorry, Daniel. I was thinking of your brother when I typed your name. (laughs) I don't know, brother. Uh, I feel like the biggest problem we have is – time compression i know for us uh i think the the need to get people in the field instead of you know like there's plenty of departments across this country though you you hear them say like you know we got a 26 week fire academy you'd be like all right so that's you know what are you sending them through paramedic school and and fire one and two and they're like no it's just fire one and two like i think that's the biggest thing that's hurting folks is there's no standard I know there's supposed to be a set amount of hours. Sure. I know folks literally have a six-week recruit school. Six weeks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And of that six weeks, they'll spend three hours on building construction and two hours on fire behavior. Yeah. So six weeks, uh, and how they fit the minimum hours in, I don't know. But six weeks from zero to firefighter one and two, then you got places that are taking 26 weeks to do firefighter one and two. And it's it's a, a skills thing, especially if you're if you're running a recruit class that's 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 people, like some places are. Do you have the the manpower, the instructors that you need? Right, you can't handle that many people with just a handful of instructors. You need, uh, I don't know what the going rate would be, but I'd definitely say you probably need an instructor for at least every five or six students. Sure, sure. You need instructors. You need plenty of time with sets and reps. And I think that's the biggest problem nationally is that we're just trying to push people out too fast because everybody's hurting for people, mm-hmm. uh, large and small. You'll right? figure out how to do it on, on the rig, you know, or, yeah. Answer or whatever. Yeah. yeah. If you don't have that culture in the firehouse, they come out, you know, we teach them the, the absolute minimum. Like this says turn a hydrant on one time and you can graduate. Well, we had them catch a plug one time send them out to the field in their first shift to catch a job and they suck at catching a hydrant. Right. Well, did they go to a house where the guy cared more about showing them where the toilet brush was or more about like, Hey, you're the plugman. This is your job. First thing that morning, let's go out and catch a plug and let's make sure that you can do this. Right. Um, and so there's a big disconnect that, that whole, you'll learn when you get to the field thing only works if you have the culture that's going to 
going to teach them when they get out in the field. Yeah, no, without a doubt. I love the answer. Increase hand, Josh Josh Brewer said increase hands on hours. They spend a lot of time teaching them how to pass a test and not enough time teaching them how to accomplish the job at an entry level with hands on skills. No, absolutely, Josh. Great answer from Clay. Great input from everybody. Absolutely. Um, healthy work life balance challenge for everybody, but especially when you don't have an all in family. Yeah. So, uh, I bring this up just because it was something I struggled with in the beginning. Like I got an amazing wife. Uh, she supports me a hundred percent. I'm kind of in a weird spot because I work too full. A lot of people don't work too. I don't meet that many people that work two full time fire jobs. Uh, I know all of us work two jobs, but uh, you know, like several years ago, I'd, I'd struggle with, you'd see people like, uh, Andrea Trestrell and uh, yeah. Heather Yaller and right. your wife and Jody Fisher and, and these, these ladies that are all in, they're with their husbands everywhere they go. Uh, they're into, into everything that's going on, right? Like they, it's almost like they love the fire service as much as, as their husband. Uh, Jessica Isaacson comes to mind, especially just from hearing their story that they've shared like at COBC and stuff. And, you know, that's not, it's not my wife. Um, she supports me, but she definitely, uh, reminds me of my priorities, uh, which needs to be done because I'm a loose cannon, right? Like I start going down the road (laughs) before you know it, I'll have something every month for the first six months of the year. And when I'm already gone two thirds of the year to begin with every little thing I do, you know, is more, more time away from my family. And in my eyes, it doesn't seem like, you know, I take off from both jobs to go somewhere for a week. I'm really only only missing a day with them. So in my eyes, it's like, oh, well, it's one more day, which it should right. not, shouldn't be that way. But it's easy when you're gone all the You're the one gone all the time. It's easy to feel like that. Uh, but it's quick to remind me, you know, that's that one more day is the day that you're supposed to spend with us. And, um, uh, yeah, so I mean, the biggest thing is, that, you know, if your wife's not not all the way in, uh, man, I try to mute this stuff, and I actually muted you. I don't. <laughs> I don't. Uh, You're good, brother. You're good. Um. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, the big thing I want people to take away. If you're out there, if you're like me, if you're wondering like, well, I can't my wife be like so-and-so or so-and-so out there that's with her husband traveling everywhere. That's, you know, that's, that's, you have who God gave you. You're with the person you're supposed to be with. There's no question in my mind that I'm with the the spouse that that God wanted me to have. We have different passions. We have different interests. That's the way we were made. And who's to know, like we're, I'm also at a different time in life. One thing that I had to learn was a lot of these guys are empty nesters or they have teenagers I got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, right? Like, yeah. Or I'm sorry, a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. Good luck. Uh-oh. Um, it's, it's just a different time of life. No, everybody uh, has. Yeah, no, without yeah. a doubt. Without so, a doubt. And if you uh, ever start comparing yourself to other people, man, it's such a trap. It's such a trap. Oh, 100%. Uh, like I, I tell people all the time, they ask me, how can you travel? How can you do all this? And it's like me and Amanda are empty nesters right now, and we have no grandkids. 
It's yeah. like this perfect window of the only thing we're missing is our dogs, you know, so we can go and do like crazy right now. When you rewind five years ago, I'd been missing games and recitals yeah. and insert whatever, man. It's just, everybody's in a different period in time of life and, and different priorities. And you can't compare yourself to other people. Just make the best, do the best with what you got and throw yourself all in into it. hundred percent with and the person you're with. That, and that was the big takeaway that I want people to understand you know, talking to the younger guys out there, like don't get caught up in the trap that I did and, and just realize everybody's in a different spot. And, you know, I'm happy to say, so that's the other thing too, most that I've done up until this coming year has been with Magic City, mostly hands-on, right? So we're traveling with four to six dudes, sharing hotel rooms and stuff. Um, right. This coming year is the first year that I really had some stuff kind of break away on my own. Um, uh, and that's one thing me, me and Sarah have been talking about, like going on. She's we've talked about her coming to, to North Florida Fire Expo and the FDIC with me. So nice. Um, you know, I think it, that's one of those transitions is a, just kind of another time in life because my career, as far as an instructor, is taking a different path uh, or a new path is developing and uh, it provides new opportunities. So. I love it, brother. I love the message. I absolutely love the message. And I'm excited for your, the future and, and everything for you. Um, now, I love asking people this question. You have a bookcase behind you, so I'm excited about the question. Is book or books that you think firefighters should be reading? I love asking this question because I'm always looking for new books. Yeah, so uh, all-time favorite book. I don't even have it. I just have the sleeve because I let somebody bar it. I don't know who has it. <laughs> Blame that, yeah. But Fearless by Eric Blum is, uh, I read this book in less than 24 hours. I could not put it down. Really? Okay. His, his story is absolutely incredible. Um, are you fam- are you familiar with this one? Has anybody ever said it? I ha- I ha- no, I mean, I, I have it in my list of to read, and it's moving. It's slowly, as I finish books, it's moving up, but I have not read it. It's sitting in my bookshelf. Dump it to the front. Okay, okay. Uh, you know, so... Short story, uh, he was a drug addict uh, in Arkansas that found God and joined the Navy and uh, became a SEAL, Uh, wound up on DevGrew, SEAL Team 6. I overcame a lot of personal battles to get there, which I'm not going to spoil the book, but he's the only one that's ever done any of the stuff that he's done to get there. And, uh, yeah, just incredible incredible story uh, probably my favorite leadership book i know it gets said all the time great book great book. Own, right uh this is one i got from john spira uh it's one of the monthly reads for uh the fit to fight fire patron community but deliberate discomfort uh basically it's a it's kind of a group like echelon front right but uh each member of the group writes a a story about something that happened to them and and how being uh being okay with being uncomfortable helped them survive okay Uh, the stoicism like sort of like modern or is it different it's different it's so uh van camp the guy that wrote it whenever he became a, a uh a new officer in the green berets uh, he met with his first commanding officer and the guy was like, I want you to go talk to these people. And each person told him a story 
and that's kind of what's being relayed in the book and the lessons learned, uh, stuff like that. I don't know. Dude, I love it. Uh, but it was really good. So then on top of that, I don't have them with me, but uh, To Sleep with the Angels uh, by David Cowan as a, the story of the Our Lady of Angels fire in Chicago. Okay. Back okay. Yep. Uh, excellent read. Uh, probably, uh, it's probably going to throw a lot of people off and everybody loves and report from engine company 82 and stuff. But my favorite fire department read just like for stories is a book called 38 years, 38 by, years by Bob Dombrowski. And this guy retired as the senior member of the Detroit fire department. And, uh, it's just story after story of, uh, his 38 years on the job in Detroit. Oh, wow. Uh, big book, small book. Uh, I'm trying to remember. Report from Engine Company 82 is pretty small in the grand scheme of things. That's it's why it's probably not much bigger. I had it on a Kindle, so I can't really tell y'all. I'm with you. I'm with you. understand that. Um, and then lastly, uh, a book called Undaunted Courage by Stephen Ambrose. So Undaunted Courage is about Lewis and Clark. Okay. I know the name about, Ambrose pretty well because, of course, yeah, the brothers, big time brothers. Yeah. Uh, Lewis and Clark's like probably my favorite his, history story of all time. And I think it's incredible uh, just what those guys went through. Uh, you know, travel, being gone for two and a half years, traveling up the Missouri River, running into hostile Indians, running into friendly Indians. Uh, only finishing their journey because of the, the kindness of strangers. Uh, and then just what, what they endured, like that, that level of uh, adventure. Like, I, I don't know. It's just a, it's an incredible story to me. I don't awesome. think it's been done like that since the, the Shackleton expedition back in the early 1900s. So, uh, but yeah, it's definitely a great read. Love it. Absolutely love it. And I love Ambra. So that, that, that'll make it good. Yeah. Dude, that's a good list. That's a healthy list. Really digging it. I tried not to disappoint. I know there were some that were repeats. Some that were. Definitely worth repeating. I, I love them. And so, which, which lends credence to the others. Makes me want to read them. You know, bump them up to the top front of the list. So we have a thing we do on the weekly scrap. It is the five questions for firefighters. The, uh, there is no right or wrong answer. They are strictly your opinions. And then the points are assigned arbitrarily by me with the help of the studio audience. And uh, all that being said, we are now in the third iteration of the five questions. So it's the five questions for firefighters version 3.1. So what I want to know right now is, are you ready for the five questions for firefighters? Let's do it. Here we go. Number one, what is the skill that has carried you through your fire service career. Man, I, I had to think about this one when you started this over. Um, I went with uh, visualization, right? So it's that whole concept of, of go to a fire every day. Um, I used to call it until uh, John Buttrick has a an oracle he wrote. I think called go to a fire every day or something like that. And before I read that, I just used to think I was a daydreamer, right? Like I'd be driving, driving into work or driving back from the hospital or driving down the road on the engine, like whatever I was doing, I'd see a house and I just envision it being on fire. Right. 
Right. Keeping my size up and vision my report. Uh, you know, be like, hey, somebody's trapped in that window right there. How am I getting in there? Uh, you know, it's got casement windows. What am I going to like? Just visualizing everything. And I think that's really, uh, I've seen it play out a couple of times in my career where I just kind of did stuff that maybe I didn't necessarily train on all the time, but I thought about more than once. Um, I think it helps with practicing size up, especially once you become an officer, you start riding up in the seat, uh, just doing that stuff in your head. That's just that, that mental, it's mental repetitions. Um, and, you know, I know that there's the science out there to back up that obviously physical repetitions are better, but mental repetitions can help uh, in those situations. And, you know, they give you that, that RPDM. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I love the answer. Yeah. Man. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Gary Klein and all his RPDM work. And when you said visualization, I was like, I, I didn't know if he was heading down that direction or not. But, man, when you don't get the physical reps, when you don't get the experience, it's the it's it's the best thing you've got is to visualize and and plan because it will add cards to your Rolodex. Not as good as going to the fire there, obviously. That would be preferred. But if you can't, never man. as good as fire. Right. But the visualization, man, it's the, it's the best thing we can control. Uh, powerful, powerful answer, man. Max points out the gate. Uh, yeah. James Mitchellisco said, Anyone else do size ups when you're driving, or am I just a weirdo? <laughs> and Douglas Ott said, You're not a weirdo. <laughs> Peyton Price says, Nah, I do it too. So there you go, man. Visualization. Number one, out the gate, nice and strong. Number two, here we go. It's job town. It's time. You're in route and responding. You got to think of the scene from Backdraft where he slaps the the, the, the tape into the cassette deck. Uh, what song are you playing in route? So, what, last week was the first qu- first. Time it was the first time ever. ever. Yeah. Um, so I, I had a lot of thinking to do after I listened to, to uh, Chief Hallman. And I sat there and I literally drove like with my meet my radio like real freaking loud, try different songs, and in my head, like I was making cue sounds and air horns, right? Like I had okay, to figure yeah. it out. And I came up with a uh, Gorilla Radio by Rage Against the Machine. Rage. Tom Murillo. I mean, it's hard to knock a, a great guitar riff. Oh yeah. Brother. No, I love it. I love the answer. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to get it and play it, and then imagine the cue firing up at the appropriate times. Max points easy. So far, I mean, it's only been two, so there's not a there's not a high bar. You, you guys are establishing what normal looks like for question number two. So two for two, max points, Gorilla Radio. Uh, number three, what is your favorite fire service tradition? Tailboard talk after a fire. That that feeling when you get a good job, you get a good knock on it. When everybody's back there packing hose, yeah. I mean, honestly, I know not every department does it, but we're we are very. Uh, we always send people to rehab, right? Uh, for us, it kind of starts there. Like when your company gets sent to rehab and you go to the rescue unit, get your little little cone cup of water and get your vital signs taken. Everybody starts talking. The mood's always good. Um, I just love that feeling of, of the camaraderie. Everybody's in a good mood, right? Didn't matter what was going on earlier. Um, but yeah, picking up hose, packing hose, the talk, the banner, uh, 
all the way back to the firehouse. That's to me, that's one of the best times on the job. Dude, I can't. Yeah. So far, uh, three for three, max points, easy max points. Max points are already coming in in the chat. Uh, tailboard talk, especially after a good job, man. Is there is there anything better as far as your tradition goes? You can't capture that in any other job. I mean, you can't. It's it's it's, it's part of the magic, man. Water cooler and gossip about people at the office, I guess, was the. <laughs> Brandon Lewis said only an unmustached brother would, wouldn't say a mustache. Mustache. I feel like I'm saying like, that you, like you, Brandon. <laughs> uh, going to number four. Who are the four people you would put on your Mount Rushmore of the fire service? Yeah, so to be honest with you, I have to have some honorable mentions. I couldn't couldn't uh, narrow it down. And uh, I know there's been some different routes taken. As long as there's four when it's done. You know what I'm saying? That, that are, be, that are d- definitive four. four. Okay, okay. Okay. Uh, I know some people have taken different routes where they, it's people they've never met or people that have really impacted the fire service as a whole. My Mount Rushmore is about me, right? People that have impacted my career. Okay. So, uh, I'll, I'll give you my Mount Rushmore, then I'll give you my, my honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, the first two are guys from my job, uh, Ben Thompson, number one. Uh, Ben Thompson was the station captain. He was my counterpart. He rode the engine when I was the son of the rescue at the current station I'm at now. Uh, made battalion chief back in like December. Uh, that man, he was actually the one I was talking about earlier, talking about my my Barnabas. Like he he's my peer. He's the one that you know says I'll be a mentor to him, and I'm a, and I view him as a mentor to me. Nice. Uh, but that man's taught me so much about leadership. It's an insane. Um, and he may just be calling me to talk. I don't know, but in my mind, he's calling me to talk to, you know, he'll call me and be like, Hey, I got this going on. He won't tell me who it is or who he's having to deal with, but he'll tell me, you know, I got this going on. How would you handle it? Right. And, uh, Hey, he just may be running it by me. I don't know, but freaking in my head, it's him being like, Hey, like, let me put him through the paces and, and kind of give him the scenario and see what, what would he do? Right. Um, he's taught me how to how to lead, how to keep my my head calm when I want to yell at people. Um, he's just been a, a good all around friend and, and mentor. Uh, been one of the biggest impacts on me as far as leadership and growth as an officer. Love it. That's number one. And number two is uh, my good brother OJ Koloje. OJ, uh, I wouldn't be where I'm at on. Uh, this side of the fire service, as far as the the instructor side, without him, right on. Uh, when he started Magic City, I came in as a kind of a junior instructor, uh, and uh, there's been a lot of changes over the years. Most of our instructors don't teach with us anymore from the original crop, uh, but yeah, over the years. Uh, the friendship that's developed, the growth, the fact that I can call him anytime I need to, and it can be a question about, you know, a job or about leadership stuff or uh, just a chit chat. Like he's he's had a profound impact on my career. Um, so that's number two, number three, and number four are uh, people that have impacted my career. Uh, I know them both personally, but they've impacted my careers for different reasons. So Cody Trestrell, 
Nice. Uh, I throw him out there because of of uh, just the movement he's created in the fire service, right? The firemanship movement. Uh, it's impacted me personally. Just being able to get on board and and not talking about the conference, but just what he's pushing, right? Right. Like this, that I'm able to hold on to, and I think for me. It's impacted me personally, but it also has had a major impact in the fire service, especially Absolutely. the generation. That that message that for them that he puts out there, uh, just incredible. He's done amazing stuff, and I think the fire service is a much better place because of him. And then lastly, Chief Ike. Right, so uh, Chief Ike's done amazing things for me personally. Uh, he's I've been lucky enough to be included as part of the the green team. Uh, had the pleasure of running logistics down there. I've had the pleasure of uh, teaching a couple of times down there, helping out in little places. Um, but just what he's done for me for my career, uh, I think the path that I've taken is somewhat because of him. Uh, I went to Pensacola for the first time in December of 14 for HROC. Okay. I guess that was a second age rock. And uh, have you ever seen the the speech that's on uh, YouTube? Well, his, his real. Uh, In all likelihood, yes, but I, I need I'm more sure information. <laughs> man, I, I can't remember what it's listed as on there, but he gave a fiery speech the first or second morning of age rock in 14. And uh, AJ just hook, line, and sinker, right? Like I was. Oh, dude, yeah. I could get you. If you, if I could give a pulse to a rock, man. He'd get it fired up. I didn't know who he was before I went down there. I literally was looking for, I worked downtown at the time and I was looking for information on high rise stuff. And I was like, hmm, well, this is only four hours away. Let me go to it. Right. And on. what I found when I came, went down there was just incredible, right? And meeting people. Yeah. The networking, uh, the, the people, the passion, yeah. all of it. Yeah. <laughs> it, his, but, his impact, his impact is so powerful, man. It's, it's, Insane. Insane. A profound impact on me personally, but also professionally, and also the impact he's had on American Fire Services is that's awesome. All can't. four. Yeah. I love I love the reason for all four. All I mean, and and OJ, Cody, Ike, and I don't know Ben Thompson, but I understand the personal impact, and that means a lot, man. That means a lot. And you and you mentioned him early in the show, so you brought up Phil Circle. Yep. And then my three honorable mentions, uh, my first company officer was a guy named Jason Ingram. Uh, man, I just coming up young, like I inspired to be like him, uh, truck guy by trade. Uh, he really took me under his wing when I was a rookie, you know, when I should have been, we go to a fire and when I should have been on the back of the engine up there, uh, packing five inch, uh, he would have me pull aside and he'd be taking me around while he was doing the final walkthrough of a, you know, a house or an apartment building or whatever. And teaching me things, you know, simple as how to tell smoke from steam when you're when you're done overhauling, you know, when you're ready to pack up and leave. Uh, and then two, his level of uh, calmness on the fire ground. With it. I'm like listening to him command fires uh, when he made captain, and I would ride up in the car listen to him command a fire with a kid trapped one time and just, just talking on the radio like it was nothing, right? Uh, so he's had a big impact on my career. Another one was a guy named uh, uh, Ken Horton. He was my lieutenant when I was at Quint 20 and Rescue 20. Uh, 
he won me over. He came in. I was already there. We had our lieutenant leave. And uh, he came in. I didn't know him from Adam. And he won me over in, in like two shifts. And I can't really go into details about what happened, but uh, the level of responsibility, he was a probationary lieutenant. And the level of responsibility that he took for me to make sure I didn't get in trouble for something was, uh, you know, I'm ashamed to say I probably wouldn't have done it. Right. 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 Just, no, I know the feeling of yeah, that power. That, that, he did to protect his guys, and we didn't even know each other, but I was his guy. Uh, you know, I'd do anything for that man. And then uh, lastly, uh, battalion chief, Adnet, Raymond Williams. One of the most senior guys on Birmingham Fire before he retired. Uh, he was the one I was referring to earlier where he kind of had the dad, I'm disappointed in you. Right. Um, just never wanted to disappoint that man, but another just calm, incident commander, nothing routing. Um, he would just, uh, the way he would talk to you in the station was the same way he talked on the radio. It was insane. But uh, yeah, that's my, my, Mount Rushmore plus some. Mount Rushmore for seven. Nice, brother. I love it. I love the four. Uh, Max points, four for four. Heavy fire. This is the final question. Everybody knows it's coming. Heavy fire and searchable space. Would you rather be assigned to the nozzle or first in on VES? Oh, VES all day long, right? I, w- I was going to be surprised, but you never know which way it's going to go. But I was going to be surprised if you went for the nozzle. I'm not going to lie. The nozzle's fun, but there's – I, I just <clears> – <throat> I enjoy truck work. I enjoy searching. I enjoy tearing stuff up. Um, and then I always like to make the joke, you know what they call metal day at FDNY, right? Truck, uh, truck, uh, truck appreciation day. Appreciation day. I was trying, I was trying to get it right. Yeah. No, man, it, it's, I have a passion for truck stuff. Uh, that's kind of traditionally at our department with the rescues, uh, you're going to get assigned, uh, you know, either outside truck functions or RID or or search or something like that. And uh, two, I think those are some of the easiest skills to develop on your own, right? Like it, if you got going back to somebody talking about earlier uh, with trying to lead from the back seat with uh, culture, it's one thing to ask a company officer if you can go out there and stretch a hose line, take the engine out of service, all that type of stuff. But there's nothing to keep you from pulling it out of the bay and grabbing that 24, that 28 and getting reps right right Uh, and i think as a young firefighter that was a thing for me it was easy to practice truck skills and uh i just fell in love with it i love it i love i love the answer i love the reason why and there's no wrong answers for any of these it's always the reason why that that really gets me you know the explanation you know 100 percent. and uh rob fisher says the last answer should always be ves (laughs) so and i think that's my answer i think that's typically the answer i give although there's somewhere i've really seen uh, my own personal answer, but that's because, man, I just want to, if, if we're going to make a grab, I want to be there making it. Yeah. But I can't knock people who want to be knocking down flame, knocking down fire, making, tra- you know, anyway, I can't knock it. Uh, there it is. Officially, uh, the five question firefighters, according to Clay McGee, officially max points five for five. Uh, and that officially makes it 209 scraps in the books. My man, Clay McGee, uh, Thank you, first of all, for sharing your evening with us all. If someone wants to get a hold of you or uh, reach out to you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, uh, I'm all over social media. I say that Facebook only. Uh, Clay McGee on Facebook. 
Uh, I got no problem giving out my phone number. It's uh, area code 601-750-9363. Or you can email me at bham, B-H-A-M, firemedic at gmail.com. There you go. Man, I love it. Back to uh, real quick. Oh, yeah, I want to say this. Like you can see, you know, uh, when you watch uh, the late night show and it says like Jimmy Fallon's wardrobe provided by what's with whatever suits. This yeah. is uh, in route graphics. This is their new hat right here. And then the shirt also. My goal here is uh, eventually I will never buy another T-shirt. So what I want is if you have a fool's chapter, if you have a training cadre, send me or, or you, you make apparel, send me your stuff. I'll wear it on the scrap. That's my goal. That's the reason I do that. Um, go to firehousevigilance.com, become a vigilante, be one of the cool kids. So, uh, vigilante meetup at, at the conferences. We got one coming up in Arkansas at the first in conference. Going to be a good time. Just another bonus besides the exclusive swag, exclusive content. We did a we did a uh, question and answer the other day, and Kyle Romagus is coming on next week for the twelfth forum. I think it's the twelfth or thirteenth forum. It's a lot of fun. A lot of fun if you're not a part. Uh, the badass scraps continue. Next week, Jonah Smith, his rescheduled scrap. Uh, then Jeff Rothmeyer, man, I just wrapped up. I've been reading his book for like 60 days. I'm a, I'm a pretty fast reader and I've literally been reading. I wish I'd have brought it in here. I'd show you how many stickers and how many highlights I put in it. Unbelievable. Mastering the craft. That book is awesome. Uh, followed by Brian Richards after that. So the killer scraps of 2023 continue. Very important. Uh, write this down. There is 85 days and a few hours, give or take a few hours until registration opens for firemanship 2024. Mark your calendars for November 27th, Cyber Monday. All right. My brother, Clay McGee, thank you for being such a phenomenal guest. Uh, Vigilantes, if you're going to be a part of the Scrap After Party, look in the private group. I will post a link, and we can critique Clay and all that good stuff. The um, That's it, man. Another one in the books. Audience, you make the Scrap magical. I appreciate all of you. Uh, logging in, asking questions, making the comments. Without you, it'd just be me and Clay having a conversation, which is fun. But with the audience, you guys are really what makes the scrap so so enjoyable. Uh, so thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in live. I love you all. Clay McGee, thank you for spending the evening with us. I'll see you in just a f- Thanks for listening to the Weekly Scrap. Please subscribe and please share. We'll see you at the next episode.